Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. They definitely believed they were dealing with a serial rapist. Who it was, they had no clue, honestly. In fact, there were over 100 suspects who were identified during the investigation. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. For decades, a string of home invasion sexual assaults haunted communities outside of Indianapolis, Indiana. The violent home invasions began just over 38 years ago and would sometimes last for hours. A man wearing a ski mask would attack women while they slept or in the shower, sometimes with children in the home. Investigators believe the crimes were committed by a single perpetrator, but for more than 30 years, that perpetrator remained unidentified. A task force has worked on the crimes for years with no arrest. Until 2020, when investigators announced the arrest of a man who went on trial earlier this year. It's a one in a trillion chance of somebody other than him. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Rich Nye joins us from WTHR in Indianapolis. Rich, thank you for being here. Thank you, Reed. You recently covered a case that takes us all the way back to the 1980s when a string of violent crimes occurred outside of Indianapolis. What happened? Well, this was a very bizarre unfolding of circumstances that first came to my attention in 2020 when Stephen Ray Hessler was arrested. And they tell us that he's being arrested for a stream, uh, a string of home invasion, sexual assaults, from 1982 to 1985. And thanks for inviting us in today at five. We want to begin with violent crimes that have haunted a community for decades. Now a man is under arrest, accused of sexually assaulting central Indiana women in their own homes. Through DNA evidence and technology and research that wasn't available at the time these crimes were committed in the 1980s, Officers and investigators stuck with the case through the years, and they had one small DNA sample from the very last crime committed in 1985. Stephen Ray Hessler, or the suspect at that time, had left DNA from his semen on a garage floor, and police had that, and they had preserved it. And so in 2002, they were finally able to create a DNA profile of the suspect, but they still didn't know who it was. They had no one to match it to. And so we go all the way to 2019 when 
There's a company called Parabon Nanolabs who does genetic genealogy testing. And through their wide assortment of DNA data banks, they can narrow down DNA to often a family or one or two people in that family who are the likely contributors of that DNA. And so they had this sample from the crime in 1985. And in 2019, they submit this to Parabon Nanolabs for testing and for their genetic genealogy research. And they come back with, it has to be either Stephen Ray Hessler or his brother. And that's not enough to arrest someone on, but it is enough to get uh, a search warrant. So then investigators used an envelope that Hessler mailed to the post office to pay his Greensburg, Indiana utility bill. And they were able to get DNA off that envelope and test it. It matched to the DNA on that 1985 sample from the crime. And that DNA matches DNA at one of the scenes uh, that was recovered in, uh, in August of 1985. And so that's what led to his arrest. Tell us a little bit more about these crimes that have now been tied to Hessler. And at the time, did investigators realize that all of these different crimes were connected, that there was a serial rapist active in the area? They definitely believed they were dealing with a serial rapist. Who it was, they had no clue, honestly. In fact, there were over 100 suspects who were identified during the investigation back in the 80s. One man was even arrested in 1984 uh, and was eventually cleared by his, uh, by his alibi and then later was cleared by DNA that it wasn't him. In the 2000s, they just went back to double check and said, nope, it's, it's not his DNA. Um, but these crimes were horrific and they terrified this community of Shelby County, Indiana, which is uh, south east of Indianapolis, uh, about a half hour. Uh, hospitals even and police were giving women self-defense courses. Uh, gun sales were way up in the community. Everyone was terrified of this guy and who he was going to victimize next. He would typically find a woman home alone at night or in a vulnerable position. Uh, he would come into their homes wearing a ski mask and coat. He would terrorize and sexually assault them for hours. He would be armed, either with a gun or a knife. And he would be there for sometimes hours terrorizing these women. And this went on throughout much of the 1980s. And then after that, there's kind of this window of time where it appears that the string of, of crimes stopped. We now know that, that during the 90s, Hessler was in prison, right? Correct. And that's probably the only reason they stopped. So he was arrested for another incident in Greensburg, Indiana, which is his hometown and is a county away. And in that case, he ended in 
ended up eventually pleading guilty and again, served most of the 90s in an Indiana state prison. But he gets out uh, in 1999, I believe. And for 20 years, as far as we know, doesn't commit any other crimes, at least no crimes that he's ever been connected to, and remains out of trouble completely from the legal system for 20 years until he's arrested in August of 2020 based upon this DNA evidence. And what was found in his home was appalling and was almost as powerful as the DNA evidence. The most compelling, perhaps disturbing evidence presented Thursday is all the items collected from Hessler's house. Items described by victims as connected to the attacks. Items that Hessler would have kept around for more than 35 years. In his home is what the prosecution called a treasure trove of evidence. This guy appeared to have kept everything from these crimes back in 1982. There were boots, coats, ski masks, water enema bottles, chain wallets, all these things that victims had described as items that their suspect wore or had or used. And then most powerfully and disturbing was that he had 23 Polaroid photos of a couple that he had forced to perform sex acts on each other while holding them at gunpoint and took pictures of them during the incident in 1983. So he had kept those Polaroids in a safe in his room for 37 years. We got a range of emotions from from them, but one thing that was consistent is they're extremely happy, extremely thankful, and uh, they're all vowing that they're willing to do their part, even though it's this long afterwards, to uh, pursue the prosecution of this case. I care about the families. I care about providing answers and resolution, and so it is hugely meaningful to me to be able to help these survivors in this case to have some peace some sense of closure. As you mentioned, Hessler was arrested back in 2020. At that point, he was charged with 24 felony criminal charges involving 10 victims, all connected to home invasion sexual assaults between 1982 and 1985. He didn't go on trial until earlier this year, and by that point, he was facing 19 felony charges. Tell us about the trial. The trial lasted eight days. Most of the victims are still alive, but not all of them. All of the victims who were a part of the charges that were eventually filed and brought to trial, all of those victims agreed to testify and did testify in the case. Most of them are in their 60s and 70s. Hessler himself, you know, is now in his 50s. And so it was very difficult for these people to relive all of these attacks from 35 plus years ago. And yet all of them were willing to do that and were still anxious to have some sort of closure and some sense of justice with this finally coming to trial and ultimately with Hessler being convicted on all 19 charges. Hessler himself 
testified in the trial. And the defense position was that all of the attacks except the last one with his DNA, where his DNA was discovered, they say all of the attacks before that must have been committed by someone else. And then Hessler told a story of the woman in the final attack actually being involved with him in a fantasy romance situation where they were trying to, you know, eliminate the husband from the scene. And that the husband who suffered permanent injuries from being pistol whipped to the head, Hessler said that the woman actually committed those crime, committed that crime on her own husband. That was his story, which the jury obviously did not accept. Talking about the the survivors of these attacks coming forward and, and testifying, there's an incredible bravery and, and selflessness in in reliving this trauma with the goal of presumably making sure their attacker won't be able to put anyone else through that same trauma. Definitely. One woman I talked to who identified herself as victim number two, her situation was she was in sl- asleep in bed with her son and was awakened with Stephen Ray Hessler wearing a ski mask on top of her. But she said, tell all the rape victims there that it's always critical to come forward. Always come forward. Hessler had threatened her that if she called police, he would come back. And though she was the second victim, she was the first victim to report her crime because Hessler, in this small community, had all these people in fear that he would come back and hurt them again if they reported their crimes and he monitored everything on the police radios in that community. And so she showed incredible bravery, and all these victims did. But that one woman who talked to me really impressed me. And her message was, I can finally feel safe, and please tell other rape victims to always report their crimes. On the Friday afternoon when the jury reached the guilty verdict, you reported that the courtroom was was still filled with the survivors who testified, other survivors, their family members. What was the reaction in the courtroom as the verdicts were read? There were tears. There were people who were trying to hold back their emotions. They had been asked by the prosecutor uh, not to have any outburst. The prosecutor and the families had formed a pretty deep relationship through this long, long, long process, even though he had only gotten to know most, he had only gotten to know most of the families and victims in the past couple of years in pursuing this case. But this task force that had looked into these crimes, obviously most of the investigators who originally looked into the crimes were retired or no longer around, not part of the uh, of the investigation any longer. But in 2000 or so, a new task force was formed when they knew they had this DNA evidence. And so those investigators had formed deep relationships with this family. After the verdict was announced and after the jury was dismissed, there was a lot of embrace. There was a lot of hugging and embraces between the prosecutors and the victims, the investigators and the victims. Again, this was a crime and a string of crimes that terrorized a community for several years. 
And now the prosecutor was just a kid when this happened, but he remembered what this had done to the community. And he felt a great sense of relief in being able to bring some kind of justice to his community and to these victims. We now know about these seven cases that Hessler was tried for and convicted of. We know about the 1988 case that he spent some time in prison in the 90s for. And then we have this window of time from 1999 when he was released until his arrest in 2020, where Hessler was out of prison. And frankly, based on this long string of convictions and the the details of these cases, nothing about this man's behavior throughout the 80s makes you think that this is someone who is planning to stop harming people. What do we know about this time period from 1999 to 2020? Do investigators think they might at some point connect other crimes to Hessler? They certainly think that's the, that's a possibility. No other victims have come forward. Uh, there are no other unsolved crimes at this time that investigators are tying to Hessler. But the question here I have is he was from Greensburg. He served time for another crime in another county through the 90s in his hometown. Um, And you just wonder, are there other attacks in surrounding counties in what I would call southeast central Indiana that he may be responsible for? And are there other women out there who are just afraid to come forward or who have tried to put it behind them? Because it just seems very unusual that a person with this kind of history and this kind of addiction, it would seem, if I can call it, would be able to stop and would suddenly quit or cut that off. When is Hessler's sentencing hearing set to take place and what might his sentence look like? Stephen Ray Hessler will be sentenced on April 1st and he faces up to 50 years in prison for each of those 19 counts. The prosecutor is very confident that Stephen Ray Hessler will never be out of prison again in his lifetime. The judge certainly, uh, the minimum sentence is 20 years. So if Stephen Ray Hessler were sentenced to 20 years concurrently on all those charges, there's a chance that he could get out of prison, but the prosecutor does not believe that there's any way Stephen Ray Hessler will ever be free again. All right, Rich and I with WTHR in Indianapolis, thank you for sharing the story. You're welcome, Reed. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. We're right here with a new one every day of the week, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed to or following the podcast wherever it is you're listening right now. If you're looking for more podcasts, you can find all of our shows at vaultstudios.com. That includes our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.